David Osikin is in the pocket is sponsored by the School of Rock Main Line. I'd like to thank the School of Rock Main Line located at 511 Old Lancaster Road in Berwyn. You can visit their website at schoolofrock.com. As for Dave Marsh or Rick Allison. our first podcast in 2023 where we're kicking it off uh on this little kind of cloudy day here in philadelphia but it's almost 60 degrees here it's kind of kind of kind of wacky weather but we're digging it and uh it's 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 great to be back i hope everybody had a a great new year and uh, of course like every podcast i'm joined by my co-host mr freddie b how you doing fred i'm well and you sir Good, good to see you, brother. Good morning. Good, good morning. Good to see you. Good morning to you. And, you and 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 I'm my surprise co-host this week. I I hit my buddy Kenny Aronson up and I said, Kenny, we got a, a, a great one this week, and it'd be cool if you can join us. So uh, Kenny Aronson is also co-hosting with us. As the man, the I think the greatest bass player in the world, right there. We're looking right there, Kenny Aronson. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm just here. I'm just yeah. here to tell Daryl that yeah. I'm still working on the backwoods Freddy <laughs> figure, man. <laughs> it's good exercise. Man. Yeah, baby. Yeah, baby. Well, so, so, uh, so let me let me. Uh, so before we get started, because I think we're going to be yakking and talking about all this stuff. I, I I am truly. We are all truly honored to have the great. Daryl Davis joining us today on the podcast. Daryl, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing wonderful, guys. Glad man, to be here. Man, I'm glad to be you. in 2023. <laughs> <laughs> you know right. what? Right? Exactly. Yeah. That's how we all feel. Uh, do you have a nice new year? I, I stayed home. I didn't work this time around. Oh, my God. Well, it's the first time I've worked in like over 30 years. Kenny and I oh. played a game. Were you home too, Freddie? Yeah. It's Love always it. the, it's the best way Love to go. It. And I love staying home, but we were we uh, Kenny and I were. Well, I mean, listen. Once we 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 said we were in to do the gig, we were in to do the gig. We played with uh, Annabella, our friend Quentin Jones, who we 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 all know through through you know with Daryl uh, invited us to play with Annabella uh, from Bow Wow Wow on New Year's Eve. So QDK played a set, and Annabella flew in from Los Angeles, and we played a, nine songs with her. So. You know, we're still kind of feeling. I'm, I, you know, look, man, I, I'm, I'm turning 67. I'm feeling it, man. <laughs> still ah. after a couple of days, man. So, but it was awesome. It was awesome. And, and so, enough about me and New Year's. I want to talk about Daryl Davis because this week I have been engrossed in, in, uh, you know, of course, when we met, I, Kenny and I met Daryl when we were out playing with Linda Gale Lewis in Washington, D.C., uh, I can't even remember that name of the, was it a coffee house or a club that we played at, Kenny? Do you remember the place? Daryl, it's your neighborhood, sort of. What remember the name of that place again? Yeah, it was a place in Rockville, Maryland, right outside of Washington, Washington D.C. Yeah, yeah. Called, uh, called Hank Beatles. It's a famous joint, from what I understand. Right. Uh, well, I mean, it's, it's it's not worldwide known. It's um it's it's famous here in Montgomery County. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, it's been around for so long. I heard know, that. Everything I heard that. Closed down, reopened, and something else. Yeah. You know, it's it's still there. 
but they they but they have live music which was so cool yes and and, and kenny and i and quentin were, were back in linda gale lewis and we met daryl at at that show and um and from the moment i met you and i heard your incredible story and your your bravery and your inquisitiveness where you do what you do i was like compelled to go ch- read everything i could find about find out of about you, you know, I mean, a, a remarkable. I, I was watching a video I sent to the guys. Uh, you did an interview with Johnny John Shavers, I believe it was uh, an interview. Uh, a guy I forget the name of the network, but uh, you've done so many of them. But it was an interview where we were talking about you know growing up. Uh, well, first of all, for for, for our listeners and people to watch this, uh, 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 Daryl is a an, um, uh, an amazing musician, guitar player, piano player who's played with the greats. He played with uh, Chuck Berry, uh, uh, Jerry Lee Lewis, uh, uh, many, many more. But he comes from that day. I mean, we're talking about Daryl Davis, Johnny Johnson, you know, a guy that plays that piano that like very few people can do the way you do it. When we played with you a few weeks ago at Zootropolis, I mean, the groove, (laughs) it was it was scary, Daryl, how great you played, man. It was was like it was it was like playing next to a Hummer truck you know <laughs> you know just the way you were grooving and well, playing you know, that, it, that I, hand man i didn't you know? I, I didn't i didn't come from that day i'm a, I'm a generation or so yeah, exactly I, I, yeah yeah i i, I should you, you're not I from, learned from them right you know, yeah johnson yeah. was my was yeah. my teacher but, but you played with those guys right pardon yeah. me but you know you played with all those guys oh absolutely right? yeah absolutely yeah 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 i mean because i i obviously looking you up i i'm you know we're, we come from the same i'm i'm I was born in 1956. You were born in 58. I, I, I one of the things I, I, um, I, I, I noticed about your story when I was reading it about when you were telling the story about being a Cub Scout. I was a Cub Scout. I don't know about any of you guys, but I was a Cub Scout. Unfortunately, I got kicked out of the Cub Scouts. I don't know why. I don't know. I didn't pay my dues or something. I got booted out for some reason. But I remember those parades and your story about the parade, Kenny. I don't know if you know this, but this story. Uh, if I, I know, you know, we got an hour, but I'd love you to tell that again about your experiences growing up and looking at uh, 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 your first interaction with real racism, where, I, you know, like I had a I didn't have any, no one was throwing rocks and bottles at me, but I, I they I went through busing at my school. I remember when I was a kid, they, you know, uh, uh, I grew up in Levittown, PA, and there was a they, they 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 started busing I think in 1963 or 64, and in the African American neighborhood they were busing kids over to our school where, you know maybe there was one African American kid in my class and they were and I remember it was a there was friction in the school and, uh, you know I grew up with European parents that you know I I was kind of like what what's going on here you know, but what you experienced was true assault on a young person that was like. What what the hell is going on here, man? Can, can you tell that story? Sure, I'd be glad to. Let, let, let me go back a little further than that story so you'll understand why I felt mm. the way that I felt mm. and why I didn't realize what was going on. Uh, like you said, I was born in 58, so I'm 64 years old. But uh, starting at the age of three in 1961, I began traveling the world. I was a child of uh, parents in the U.S. Foreign Service. Right. So I grew up as an American embassy kid. I was born in Chicago. My parents were from uh, Virginia, Roanoke and Salem. But uh, my dad was, you know, U.S. State Department. So 
you go to a country, you're assigned there for two years, and after that two years, you come back home here to the States, you're here for a few months, or maybe a year if, if you request it, and then back overseas to another country. And so I lived in Africa, I lived in Europe, wow. visited many different places in between. Uh, my first exposure to school was overseas. Uh, I did kindergarten, uh, first grade, third grade, fifth grade, seventh grade, all in different countries around the world. Hmm. And my classmates back, you know, we're talking the early 60s, right? right? My classmates back then were from all over the world. Uh -huh. uh, my classmates were Nigerian, Italian, Japanese, Russian, Czechoslovakian, French, German, Swedish. Mm. Anybody who had an embassy where we were, yeah. all of their kids went to the same school. So that being my first exposure to school became my baseline for what school should be. You know, that's all I knew, right? Yeah. And we all, we all yeah. got along. Yeah, yeah. We worked together. Yeah. And you're probably getting a great education. I mean, the schools are there. You were, you know, Absolutely. languages. You probably had amazing education at that Absolutely. time. You know, I, right? Of course, I didn't realize it at the time. Uh, exactly. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it was the norm. It was a, it was my norm, my baseline. Right. Uh -huh. Okay. So every time I come home, in between those two years, right after those two year assignments, I'd be back here in my own country, and I would either be in all black schools or black and white schools meaning yeah. the still yeah. segregated or right. the newly integrated. Right. And uh, back then, we didn't have the, the uh, diversity that I had overseas or right. that we have today in this country. Yeah. It was just yeah. black kids and white kids, you know? Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And so even though desegregation was passed uh, four years before I was born by the Supreme Court in 1954, it didn't mean that schools integrated overnight. It took no. years and years. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. Some are still trying to get there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. But yeah. uh, anyway, one of the times that I came back, so now, so now you have my background. One of the times that I came back was 1968. So now I'm 10 years old. I'm in fourth grade, and I'm in a school in which I was one of two black kids in the entire school. Ooh. Myself in fourth grade and a little black girl in second grade. So, you know, I, uh, I rarely saw her. Uh, except for like a recess or lunchtime. Um, but, you know, she's in second grade, I'm, I'm in fourth grade. So all of my friends were fourth and fifth graders, and uh, they all were white. And so some, some of my guy friends uh, from that class were members of the Cub Scouts, and they invited me to join. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I joined these scouts, and uh, we all had fun, had a great time, had a great den mother, all that kind of stuff. And when, now we're, we're, we were in a place called Belmont, Massachusetts at the time, yeah. right outside of Boston. So we had a parade from Lexington to Concord. Right. It's called Patriots Day or something. Right, right, yeah. And we commemorate the uh, the the march. I mean, the ride yeah. of Paul yeah. Revere. Yeah, you walked by Harvard. I I remember you. Yeah, saying exactly. You, yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, so now uh, Lexington and Concord are right next door to Belmont. Yeah. I ride my bicycle back and forth to either of those towns. Yeah, yeah. So um, we're marching. The streets are blocked off, sidewalks on either side are lined with nothing but white people. And they're waving and cheering and yelling, you know, the British are coming yeah. and all that. Right, right, right. So, <laughs> so uh, we got to a certain point in the parade route when suddenly, pow, I'm getting hit wow. with uh, bottles and rocks and, and soda pop cans and just, you know, debris, small debris from the street right. by just a small group of white yeah. spectators. Yeah, that's all it takes, right? Yeah, over on, on the right all side. Takes. And, you know, I look over 
and you know, yeah. you know throwing stuff. It was only like maybe two kids a year or two older than me who I did not know, and right. a couple of adults. I assume maybe their parents. <laughs> it's oh, mind blowing that when you said a couple right. of adults. I saw. It. I was wow. like, what? And you know, now, did you learn that? You know, right. So, you know, when I first saw this, my first thought was, was understand, I had no precedent for this. Mm. So my first thought was, oh, these people over here, they don't like the scouts. That's how naive I was, right? Uh, racism didn't even enter my mind. I didn't even know what racism was, yeah. okay? So yeah. it wasn't until my mm -hmm. then mother, my club master, my troop leader came running back, mm. all, all they, you know, they all were white, and huddled over me with their bodies and wow. scared me out of the danger. Wow. You know, that I realized I'm the only scout getting hit. Mm. You know, what's going on here? Mm. You know, I'm the target. What, what did I do? Yeah. And I kept asking them, why are they doing this? Why are they and you never that? thought, you never thought, oh, uh, it's color. You, you didn't no. even think about that, right? No. Who would? I, I right? Every color in the world by that right. time. Right, 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 right. Uh, so, mm -hmm. um, you know, I kept asking them, why are they doing this to me? Mm -hmm. And all they would do is shush me and rush me along, tell me to keep wow. moving, keep moving. Right. Wow. So they never answered the question. Mm -hmm. And um, at the end of the day, when I got back home, my mother and father were not at the parade. And, you know, they were questioning me, how did you trip and fall down and get all scraped up? Yeah. I told them I did not trip and fall down. Mm. I told them exactly what had happened. Yeah. So for the first time in my life, dad. my mom and dad, yeah, yeah, I, I didn't have big brothers and sisters to, to learn things from, mm. right? I'm an only child. Okay. Um, my folks got it right the first time. Yeah, there you go. So, uh, <laughs> they did all right. Hey, man, they did all right. <laughs> yeah. They did all right. So my mom and dad sat me down and explain yeah. to me what racism was. Yeah. And I, I, I'm, not, I'm not joking with you guys. They told you, you didn't know. I had, I had no idea. I didn't even know what, what racism was. I never yeah. even heard the word. It was yeah. not in my sphere. Yeah. Okay? And, and my parents are telling me something. I always trusted my parents to tell me the truth, mm. you know, or give me answers to questions I couldn't figure out. Right. And, and when they were telling me this, I swear to you, mm. I literally thought they were lying to me. Because it made no sense. But, my ten-year-old yeah. brain. Like, why would they not? Why would someone hate me? Yeah, my my ten-year-old brain did not process the idea mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. someone who had never spoken to me, never seen me before, knew nothing about me, would want to right. hurt me for no other reason than this. Crazy. The color of my skin. It mm -hmm. made no sense. And yeah. furthermore, to my point, the people doing that to me did not look any different than my friends at school or my fellow mm -hmm. scouts, or for that yeah. matter, my friends overseas. Whether yeah. they're my fellow Americans at the embassy, or my little French, or Danish, or Swedish, or Australian friends, right? You know, so my parents had to be wrong. It had nothing to do with the color of my skin. Why are you telling me this? Well, guess what? Wow. 1968, right? So a yeah. lot of things began happening, and I, I mean, what, what a time, you know? I mean, yeah, on yeah. every level, on every, on every level. level, and on, on the biggest level. level, you know, yeah. Dr. King was assassinated. Yeah. Right? yeah. So, you know, I quickly learned that this phenomenon that my parents had had told me about was actually true. They had not lied to me. Mm. And that fall, we moved back overseas on another assignment. Mm. So I, I returned to normalcy, if you will. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Where did, where, did, where did you move to? I'm just curious because I, so where, where, did, where, where did you move to? We moved to, to a place called uh, uh, Conakry, Guinea on the oh, west wow. coast of Africa. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And, you know, but every time I'd come home, there'd be some some major incident. Yeah. But it was at that time at age 10, after that incident, right. that I formed the question in my mind, which stays with me today. 
how yeah. can you hate me when you don't yeah. even know me? Yeah. And that, you know, leads into uh, how I you know, got involved with the Ku Klux Klan and neo-Nazis. I, I mean, I, I, for people that are watching this, I mean, your story about engaging, uh, I wrote the guy, you, the guy in Baltimore, the, the couple of things blew me away. Story about the guy in Baltimore. Uh, there was a police chief that went to jail or something like that. Uh, Robert a, White, yes. Robert White. Uh, that fascinates me. But basically, uh, you know, Daryl would engage uh, uh, members of the KKK and, you know, uh, and engage them in conversation, befriend them. And in a lot of cases, you've had 200 members, probably, you know, probably more that have left the left the KKK and and uh, because they saw another ideology or listened to another uh, person's point of view understood what they were talking about was completely insane you know i mean uh, for whatever reason that's that's fear that kicks in with with uh and, and and it like you mentioned the parents with those two kids on at the parade i mean that's taught you know you're yeah. you're, you're yeah. You, that's something that's learned i mean it it brings me back i i um we had one or two african-american families that lived in my neighborhood and my, I grew up when my parents were from Finland. So my dad came with remember yeah, being, being on the boat. And he said, you know, he talked to me later on, you know, talk, like a young kid telling me about there was like a whites only bathroom, blacks only bathroom. And he thought he was like, really, because that wasn't going on. Uh, it, well, it, that, you know, racism was was foreign to him, you know, uh, or I, I don't know. He it just it, he thought it was. Well, he didn't like it. Basically, he didn't like it. So, uh, you know, he, he educated me when it came to that. But I, I remember uh, my mom telling me where somebody came to her house with a petition not to sell the house to an African-American family. Right. You had right. to sign it. My mother kicked her out, which I was so very proud of my mom. You got to get out of here. But, uh, you know, I, I it, you know, I, I guess it was, the, you know, that it, those times, you know. But, you know, like we've we've kind of I've done a. You know, we're at a time right now after what we experienced a couple of years ago in Charlottesville, uh, where, you know, these these groups, they're not as many. They call themselves something different than the KKK. They got different names for these. They're, they're, off, they're, off, they're offshoots, offshoots that. of yeah. that. Yeah. And, you know, they hate blacks and they hate Jews and they hate anything that isn't what what they are, you know. And, uh, you know, it's scary. I mean, it was never something that was. Uh, you know, I know I, I personally know. All the organizers of that Charlottesville you event. You do. You do. They all have been right here in my house. Get out. No, I'm serious. So, so yeah. I've been. I'm, I am. I, 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 it's amazing. But basically, you've been successful in turning some of these people and having few because I mean it's hate and you know you carry that stuff around and that'll eat you up alive. Yes, it will. You know, uh, I, uh, I, I just it amazes me and, and it amazes me that you've been. I guess in a lot of ways, it's cathartic for you that makes you, you know, when you question something like that, you experience with a young person and it scars you for life. But your way of healing was that you were going to go and find out what is this, what is the, uh, what is the core root of this problem and ex well, yeah, extricate, actually, no, extricate it, man. I wasn't you trying know? to heal my own wounds. I was trying to heal no, theirs. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know. I, I, you're right. You're right about that. Yeah, exactly. Well, you, you helped a lot. You know, it's yes, amazing. Daryl, I have a question. Have you ever done any research with these white supremacist people on 
tracing their genealogy back to see how much mixed blood might be in them and yeah. there. Oh yeah. You know, well, and she goes, well, basically a country, <laughs> we're a country yeah. of mutts. I mean, right, right. how many people are pure of anything? Right, right. right. Well, and they, you know, if, amen. If, you know, even, even if, they, if they take one of those tests and it shows, you know, they got some, uh, uh, you know, uh, Arabic in them or some yeah. African or whatever, yeah. Uh, or Asian in them, they were gonna they're gonna deny it. Deny, uh, yeah. And amazing, amazing. So wow. uh, through all your endeavors, you did. Anyone's watching, you can look up Daryl. He has a TED talk that's remarkable. Uh, uh, the accidental courtesy is the documentary film that you've done that's uh, remarkable. Uh, documents uh, uh, what you do. And it seems like it's one of those jobs. It's so full time that it amazes me that you do the other side of your life is you're a brilliant artist. You're a brilliant musician. Um, and you played, I mean, are you playing all the time? Because the way you played well, a few weeks play ago, man, you were yeah, like, I used to play all the time. Now, you know, now I just do the gigs, you know, that, that I really want to do, you know, yeah. when, when I, when I am, I'm honored to be called by you and Kenny and Quentin. You yeah. know, I'll come out and do it. <laughs> it was fun. Well, we got some more yeah. stuff. We're thinking about something else for you too. So okay, we'll, we'll, we hope to do it again. But but you know, I, I would much rather be on stage, yeah, playing, playing that rock and roll and seeing people. Yeah, look at that photo and dancing to my music than being mm. at a clan rally watching people in robes and hoods march around a burning cross. <laughs> Yelling, <laughs> were you at, did you ever feel did, now, now your story your story about um where your secretary i believe her name was mary she she yeah. she invited you invited the guy uh the, the grand whatever you call him over to and he didn't want to tell him that you were you were african-american right and you show up at this hotel right. and he walks in and that soda story kenny they freddie he puts the, the, the Mary buys them Coca Cola, puts them in a bucket and with a bunch of ice, and you know here's this guy that comes in uh, uh, that's going to you know is meeting and he and, and, and Daryl's going to engage him in conversation, but apparently Daryl was told that the guy will will kill him. The guy was like you know is you know he's been told watch out this guy will kill you. Yeah, I was so told the, by, by yeah. one of his uh, former members. You know, this this was this was the uh, the clan leader, and um, you know, I wanted to meet him. I wanted to interview him. I wanted to ask him, "How can you hate me when you don't even know me?" Yeah. Right? And yeah. so I um, I was given his information uh, from a from a former member mm -hmm. on the condition that I not tell this guy where I got his personal information. Right. And the guy warned me. He said, "Daryl, do not fool with him. He will kill you." Yeah. And uh, I'm like, well, that's the whole reason I need to see him. Why right. would he kill me? He yeah. doesn't even know me, you right. know? So basically, um, I had my, my secretary, Mary, as uh, David mentioned. Now, Mary is white. Well, she, she's passed on now, but uh, she was white. And I only mentioned that, not that I could care about anybody's skin color, but I, I gave yeah. her the number and asked her to call the guy. Right. Because I figured sure. if I call him, because I'm the one who had the number, uh, he might detecting my voice and I'm black. Now, I'm not talking to you, click. And my whole project would have ended before it ever got started. But I knew that if Mary called him, he would know that the voice on the other end of the line was a white woman. And he would not automatically assume that this white woman is A, working for a black man, and B, working for a black man who's writing a book on the Klan, because they did not exist. My book was the first book 
written by a black author on the Klan uh, from you know face-to-face -face interviews. So I, I, I had her call and I told her, do not tell him that I'm black. <laughs> if he asks, don't lie to him, but don't give him reason to ask. Yeah. And then if he agrees to do the interview, obviously he, he can figure out that I'm black when he sees me, right? <laughs> um, and the second reason why I didn't want him to know was because if he, if he knew I was black and he still agreed to do the interview, he would have time to, to prepare different yeah. answers for a right. black interviewer than he would give a white interviewer. Right. So right. I wanted it to be spontaneous. Mm. Okay, so she called, uh, he agreed to do the interview, he didn't ask what color I was, et cetera. So Mary and I got a uh, hotel room, uh, you know, not too far from, from where he is. And uh, I get, we got there several hours early. I gave her some money, sent her down the hall to the vending machine to get some soda pop. And uh, she got it, put it in the ice bucket, filled it with ice, set it on the dresser. Yeah. And, and we waited. And right on time, right to the minute, there was a knock on the door. Now, the way the room just happens to be, uh, if you guys are standing in the hallway of this motel, looking through the door to my room, you cannot see who's in the room. You have yeah. to come into the room, turn to your right, and then go around the corner and then you'll see who's in the room. Right. So I took the little lamp table, took the lamp off and put the table in the most obscure corner of the room. Mm. I put a chair on one side for the clan leader, a chair on the other side for me. Mm. And beside the leg of my chair, I had a black canvas bag that contained a cassette recorder, some blank cassettes and a copy of the Bible because the Ku Klux Klan claims to be a Christian organization. Yeah. And they claim that the Bible preaches <laughs> racial separation. Mm, now, in my reading of the Bible, I've never seen that. Why well, say to that? Pull up, pull up my Bible and say, here, please show me chapter and verse where it yeah. says blacks and whites mm. must be separate, right? right? So I put the cassette recorder in the middle of the table, all in hopes that A, the guy would come in after he realizes I'm black, and B, he would allow me to record the interview. Okay, so... Right at 515, knock, knock, knock on the door. Mary hops up, runs around the corner. I'm still seated back there where you can't see me until you come in. She opens the door and in walks this guy's bodyguard. And he's wearing military camouflage, the Ku Klux Klan uh, patch, which is a red circle, white cross, blood drop right there. The letters KKK on this side and uh, embroidered on his cap, it said Knights of the Ku Klux Klan. And on his hip, he had a semi-automatic uh, Glock uh, handgun. Wow. And uh, he comes in, he comes around the corner, and he sees me and just freezes. <laughs> now, his boss, you know, the, the, uh, the, the leader, is on the other side of the corner and doesn't realize that, that his bodyguard has stopped short. So he comes around the corner and, boom, smacks that guy in the back, and they both, you know, tumble forward. And wow. they're, they're stumbling around trying to get their balance and, like, you know, looking all around the room, like, you know. And I just sit there at the table, like, you know, looking at them. And I can see the apprehension in their faces. Yeah. I knew what they were thinking. They're thinking, did the desk clerk give us the wrong number? Or, or, or just an ambush, you know? Right. And so I stood up and I went like this to show I had nothing in my hands. Yeah. And I walked forward. I put my right hand out. I introduced myself. Mm. And the clan leader shook my hand, as right. did the bodyguard. So, so yeah. far, so good. I said, please, right. come on in, come on in, have a seat. So, um, you know, the uh, clan leader sat down. And the bodyguard stood at attention to his right. And before I sat down, the uh, the, the leader asked me if I if he if I could show him some ID. So I gave him my driver's license, and he says, "Oh, you live on such and such street in Silver Spring." 
Yeah. Now that had me a little concerned because why is he looking at my address? Yeah. You know, is he going to come to my house and burn a cross? I mean, what's yeah. up, right? right? And but I did not want to let him know that he had unnerved me a little bit. Well, yeah. I wanted to let him know, don't be coming to my house uninvited for any nefarious activity, right? Yeah. So I said yes. I said that is where I live, and you live at, and I and I recited his street address. <laughs> so that way, I have a playing field, right? <laughs> If you Brilliant. come visit me, I might come visit you. So we're going to yeah. find all these visits. <laughs> right. Hotel room, right? Yeah, 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 that's good. I, I, I did not find out that day. Uh, it was it was several months later that I really had no reason to fear him coming to my house. Mm. Um, my street right out here, it runs, it's a long street, runs through two neighborhoods. One of his clan members lived right down the road here. Wow. I had no way of knowing that. You did, he you recognized did. my street. And because oh. he, he had to go on that street wow. to get to his to his, uh, his uh, member's house. Wow. The day that same member sits in a federal prison in the state of Maine for committing a hate crime. So he's there for wow. a long, long time. Wow. So Good. anyway, uh, we, you know, we got on with this interview, right? Yeah. And, and every time the leader would say, Mr. Davis, the Bible says, or if my cassette ran out of tape, I'd reach down into my bag to retrieve the Bible or get a fresh cassette. Every time I'd reach down, the bodyguard would reach up to his hip. Yeah. You know, he never pulled the gun, but he'd rest, he'd rest his hand on the wow. butt of the gun. And wow. so, uh, you know, uh, he's doing his job. I, yeah. I understood that. You know, his, he doesn't know me. I'm the enemy. I'm a black guy, right? Mm. And he doesn't know what I have in my bag. Mm. So he's doing his job to protect himself and his boss. Mm. So I got all that. So, but after about 45 minutes of, you know, me reaching down, him reaching up, he stopped all that. He realized there was no threat in the bag, and he relapsed, and I went in and out of the bag. He didn't move. Well, a little over an hour into this interview, uh, the leader and I were just you know, talking casually like, like you and I are right now, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this very short, very fast, very bizarre noise happened. It sounded like a That was it. <laughs> and we all jumped because it was so out of context. And I flew up out of my chair and hit the table um, <laughs> because I knew that he had made this noise. You know, the yeah, yeah, yeah. How did I know that? Because I didn't make it. So he didn't do something to blame on somebody else. So um, I had gone into what you call survival mode. You know, when you, yeah. you know, when you fear for your life, mm. you will do anything and everything to survive. Mm -hmm. And there are only about four things you can do. Some people, they just, they think, they pass out. The fear is so great, yeah. their brain cannot process That's it. heavy. The brain shuts down and you fall mm -hmm. out and think. I don't yeah. do that. Other people, their muscles will constrict and they'll ball up and start shaking and they can't move because that's called paralysis by fear. You can be yeah. punching them, kicking them. You know, they're not even trying to block the blows. They like that. Right, you ever right, seen anybody right. get, get into a fight and they ball up into a fetal position and they can't move? That's called paralysis by fear. I don't do that either. Third thing people will do when they fear for their life is to run away. That is the best option. Mm. As quickly as you can, separate yourself from the source of fear. Get away from it. And mm. that is the option that I would have chosen had it been available. But it was not available because you cannot outrun a bullet in a motel room, okay? <laughs> I was not armed. My secretary, Mary, was not armed. The only person who I knew for sure who was armed was the bodyguard. I could see his gun on his hip. 
I did not know if the leader had a gun up under his suit and tie or not. You know, yeah. all I knew was, hey, I don't want to die today. So your first, uh, so your fourth option, your last option, is to do what is called a preemptive strike. Get yeah. them before they get you. Mm. And when I flew up out of my chair, hit the table, I was on my way to dive across that table, grab the clan leader, grab the bodyguard, and slam them down to the ground and take away the, the bodyguard's gun and immobilize that situation. Okay. Well, when I hit the table, you know, I'm only, you know, a, a, a lamp table in a motel room is a very small yeah. table. So yeah, I'm only, sure. Two I'm, I'm visualizing it. Yeah. yeah. So I'm looking right into the guy's eyes yeah. as I'm getting ready to come across that table. Yeah. And I didn't say a word to him. I knew he could read my eyes. My eyes were, were, were saying clearly, what did you do? <laughs> well, his eyes had fixated on mine. And I could read his eyes. He didn't say a word either. His eyes were saying to me, what did you just do? The bodyguard got his hand on his gun again, looking at both of us like, what did either one of y'all just do? Yeah, right. well, Mary was sitting to my left on top of the dresser because there were mm. no more chairs in the room. Mm. And she realized what had happened. And she began explaining it to us when it happened again. And we all began laughing. The bucket, <laughs> the bucket containing the ice and soda pop was sitting right. to the left on the dresser. The ice had begun melting yeah. And the soda was shifting down the ice. Yeah, right. That was yeah. it. You know, and you thought it all thought it was shot yeah. over a melting ice cube. Yeah. Okay. I mean, wow. that's how crazy it was. Yeah. But this was a lesson. Uh, I won't say it was a lesson learned that day. It was a lesson taught that day. Mm. The learning would come later. Interesting that's that right. it happened too. Yeah, the lesson taught yeah. is this mm. all because some foreign underscore highlight circle the word foreign entity of which we were ignorant that being the bucket of ice kansas soda i mean we knew it was over there but we'd long forgotten about it because we're right. so engrossed and you know in, engrossed in conversation all because some foreign entity entered into our little comfort zone of which we were ignorant yeah. we became fearful ignorance creates fear mm. right if you yeah. don't address that fear and keep it in check that right. fear in turn will escalate into hatred because we hate the things that frighten us. Yeah. If you don't keep that hatred in check and address it, it in turn will escalate into violence and destruction. Yeah. We want to destroy those things that we hate. Why? Because they frighten us. But guess what? At the end of the day, they may have been harmless and we were simply ignorant, which mm -hmm. was the case here. Now, mm -hmm. so you saw the, the chain almost unfold completion completion would have been had the bodyguard drawn his gun and shot me or yeah. shot mary or had yeah. i bounced across the table and hurt one of them trying yeah. to do my job which is to, mm. just to protect me and protect mm. my secretary do you remember what year that was what yes year i that? did 1991. wow okay yeah. so now uh you mentioned charlottesville mm. you all saw what happened in charlottesville there yeah. is an example of that chain going out to completion yeah that happened on August 12, 2017, Charlottesville. On that day, there was a lot of ignorance in Charlottesville. On Amazing. August 12, 2017, there yeah. was a lot of fear in Charlottesville. Mm. There was a lot of hatred in Charlottesville that day. And what did it culminate in? It culminated in destruction. When a white supremacist got inside his vehicle, attempted to murder as yeah. many counter-protesters as he could, he succeeded in injuring just over two dozen 
and Amazing. murdering one young lady yeah. they their yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. Ignorance breeds fear. Yeah. Fear yeah. breeds hatred. Hatred breeds destruction. Yeah. Now, I think you know, I, I've been doing this work now for about forty years. Yeah. My gigs. Yeah. And here's what 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 I what I know and what works for me. We have been addressing these issues ass backwards, you know, yeah. top down. All right. Um, the top down approach works when you're dealing with companies, chains of command, departments, things like that. Uh, you know, you want to uh, you, you want to make sure that everybody is straight at the top. Right. And then that will trickle down to the people down below, like, say, right. a police department. OK, if, if the if the brass, the administration of the police department, the chief and everybody, if they're, you know, lack of days going loose, then their subordinate officers on the street are going to be the they're same. They're going to be the same thing. Right. Yeah. You know, uh, so right. you tighten up the top and it trickles down. Sure. Okay, that works for a department. But when you're when you're or a corporation, when yeah. you're dealing with something like this, it has to be bottom up. I, so what I say is this. Forget about the destruction. What's been destroyed is not coming back. No. Forget about the, about the hatred. Yeah. Okay, the the destruction and the hatred are byproducts of the nucleus. They're byproducts of the source. Okay, forget about the fear. That's another symptom, another byproduct. The source of all this, the nucleus, is the ignorance. Yeah. If you cure the ignorance, then there's nothing to fear. Mm. You know, we 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 fear what of what we're ignorant of. All right. Mm. If you cure the ignorance, there's, there's mm. nothing to fear. With nothing to fear, mm. there's nothing to hate. With nothing to hate, there's nothing to get mad about and destroy. Mm. The good thing is this. Ignorance is, is that source. The good thing is there is a cure for ignorance. Mm. That cure is called education. Yeah. Okay? And unfortunately, there's no cure for stupidity. You yeah. know? So no. if you give somebody the education and no. they don't use it, no. nothing you can do. Yeah. But when you provide education and exposure, mm. you are curing the ignorance. Okay, you've and been out. You've been out doing this. This is something that you've been doing for a long time. Yeah. Educating uh, people on this—it's—it's uh, it's amazing that you do this. Let me tell you something. I have I have played in all fifty states. Yeah, I have been between traveling as a little kid with my parents, mm. with my dad's job, and yeah. now as an adult musician traveling right. around right, right. the world. Where you combine yeah, those yeah, two sets of travels. Yeah, yeah. I've been to 61 countries on six continents. Now, what does that mean? It means that I've been exposed to yeah. a multitude of skin colors, ethnicities, mm. religions, cultures, ideologies, etc. Yeah. And all of that has helped shape who I've become. Yeah. I can tell you one thing that I've learned is this. No matter how far I go from our country, the United States, whether it's right next door to Canada or right next door to Mexico or halfway around the globe, no matter how different the people that I encounter may be. Maybe they don't look like me. Maybe they don't speak as I do or worship the way I do. I always conclude one thing. We all are human beings. And as such, everybody wants these five core values in their lives. Everybody wants to be loved. Yeah. Everybody wants to be respected. We all want to be heard. Yeah. We all want to be treated fairly. And we all want the same things for our family as anybody else wants yeah. for their family. Indeed. We can learn yeah. to apply those five core values or any of those values when we find ourselves in an adversarial situation or in yeah. a culture or society in which we are unfamiliar or uncomfortable. I can guarantee you 
that our navigation of that of that situation, that culture, that society will be much more smooth and much more positive. So that's what I what what I what I exemplify when I deal with these yeah. people. Yeah. You know, mm. uh, let, let, let me give you one of my favorite quotes of all time. Yeah, I'd love to hear it. You, you remember Mark Twain, right? Yeah, Samuel Clemens, Mark Twain. Mm -hmm. Well, he had a lot of quotes. This one is called The Travel Quote by Mark Twain. Yeah. Yeah. And Mark Twain said, and I'll quote it for you. Mark Twain said, travel is fatal to prejudice, bigotry, and narrow-mindedness. And many of our people need it sorely on these accounts. Broad, wholesome, charitable views of men and things cannot be acquired by vegetating in one little corner of the earth all one's lifetime. <laughs> Brilliant. It's brilliant. You know, the story that you told about, you know, because this segues, it segues into the music thing. I, 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 one other found thing I found on the internet, we were talking about a guy, uh, you were playing, you sat in with a band and the band played at this place a number of times, but they never had, you know, you were, you were playing piano with them and the guy was, he couldn't believe, you know, which oh, I think yeah, well, you were playing. He said, couldn't yeah. believe that. He goes, I never seen a, 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 a basically black, a black, a black, like black man play piano like like he played piano, like Jerry Lee Lewis. And he, and, and which, well, what happened? We were playing with you. It's kind of like, what? But that story's amazing. That, uh, that, that, uh, okay. So what happened was this uh, country music had made yeah. a resurgence. Yeah. You know, country music has always been around, just like the blues, you know, it's right, always going to be right. around. Uh, but it right. wasn't mainstream on the top 40 anymore. Yeah, yeah. But uh, there, a movie had come out called Urban Cowboy. Right. Oh, yeah. the right, Mechanical Bull, all the line dancing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So country music became popular again. <clears throat> and all the clubs and bars that were playing disco and top 40, they switched yeah. their format to country. So, you know, if you were playing blues back then, you know, you were lucky if you got two gigs a month. But if you played country, you could work every night of the month. Mm. So... I joined a country band. And, you know, as musicians, we all know there's no difference between country and blues. Now it's the think. same three chords. You know, they're yeah, just yeah. the only yeah. thing that separates us is society. Moving on over. <laughs> Moving on, move on over to 12 Bar Blues by Hank yeah, Williams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. So, anyway, I joined a country band. Uh, the band was established here in the Maryland area. And I was the only black guy in the band, and usually the only black guy wherever we played. Now, they had played a place up in a town called Frederick, Maryland, about oh, yeah. an hour and 20 minutes outside of Washington, D.C. And uh, it was called the Silver Dollar Lounge. Yeah. The Silver Dollar Lounge had a reputation of being an all-white lounge, that black people were not welcome. There were mm -hmm. no signs, you know, that said whites only, you know, no yeah, colored, you know. something like that. Right. Right. You know, you, you remember the signs, you know, your father was talking about, about your colored restroom, water fountain, none of that kind of stuff. It just had that reputation. So... Here, you know, if you go somewhere where alcohol is being served and you're not welcome, it's not a good combination. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, here I am in the Silver Dollar Lounge uh, with this band, you know, and, you know, they played there before. And so I'm the only black guy in the whole place. And, um, you know, we did our first set, people dancing, having a good time, took a break, and I'm following the band over to the band table, you know, where they're all going to sit. Yeah. And I feel somebody from behind put their <laughs> arm around my shoulder. Uh, I don't I know anybody in here, right? Yeah, and I, I can see it. Band. Yeah, I see the whole band in front of me walking that way. Yeah. And I don't know anybody in here. So I'm like, you know, turning around like, you know, who the hell is touching me? Right. And this white guy, and yeah. he's probably 15, 18 years older than me. Yeah. Big smile on his face. 
And he says, man, I sure love your all's music. I said, thank you. I shook his hand. I appreciate that. And he points at the stage and he says, I've seen this here band before, but I ain't never seen you before. Where'd you come from? And I explained, well, yeah, he probably seen them because they told me they played here. But this yeah. is my first time. I just joined this band a couple months ago. Mm. Said, man, I sure love your piano playing. This is the first <laughs> time I ever heard a black man play piano like Jerry Lee Lewis. And so I was not, I was not offended, but I was rather surprised yeah. given the fact that he's at least a decade and a half older than me. Right, right, He did right. not know the black origin of Jerry right. Lee Lewis's piano style. Yeah, right. I, I explained to him that Jerry Lee got it from the same place I did. From mm. black blues and boogie woogie piano players. Mm. Oh no no no! I, I never didn't buy that. <laughs> like that you. So I'm mm. thinking, okay, well you know, dude here never heard Little Richard or Fast Domino. Yeah. Right? I said, look, man. I said Jerry Lee is a good friend of mine. I said he's told me himself where his influences came from. We didn't believe that either. Yeah. But I bet. he was so fascinated with me. Yeah, yeah. That he wanted me to come back to his table and let him buy me a drink. Right on. So I go back to his table. I don't drink alcohol, but I let him buy me a cranberry juice. He right. pays the waitress. He takes his glass. He clinks my glass and cheers me. And he says, you know, this is the first time I ever sat down and had a drink with a black man. Mm. You know, he's making, you know, this guy was having a night at first, let me tell you. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Amazing. You know, I, I was rather surprised, you know, given my background. Yeah, yeah. At, at my age at that time, I sat down with literally thousands of white people or anybody else and had a meal, a beverage, a conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How did yeah. this guy, as old as he was, had never done that before? And right. I know for a fact that there are black people in Frederick, Maryland. I've seen them. So how, yeah. so how, how did he miss them all, right? <laughs> so, so innocently, I asked him, I said, why? And, and I wasn't trying to be facetious. I, I was curious. Mm. And um, he, like, he like looked down at the table. He didn't answer me. And I asked him again. And his buddy sitting next to him, elbowed him and said, tell him, tell him, tell him. I said, tell me. Because now I'm, I'm mystified. Like, what's going on here? And he says, I'm a member of the Ku Klux Klan. Oh, shit. I started laughing at the guy. Oh, shit. Because now I think he, you know, he, he's jerking me around. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Why would a Klansman put his arm around my shoulder, praise my ability, want to buy me a drink and hang out? Yeah. It doesn't yeah. work that way, right? No. So no. I'm laughing, thinking he's you know pulling a joke on me. He goes in his pocket, pulls out his wallet. Hands me his clan membership card. Whoa. Oh, I recognize man. that red circle, white cross, blood drop. I go, Whoa, this thing is for real. So I stopped yeah. laughing because it wasn't funny anymore, right? No. Right, right. no. And, uh, but we talked, had a good yeah. time. We talked about the clan, talked about some other things. Right. And um, he gave me his phone number and wanted me to call him whenever I was to return to the Silver Dollar Lounge. Because mm -hmm. he wanted to to tell his friends, you know, the ones with the pointed hats and robes, yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> tell his friends, you know, about oh. as he put it, the black guy who plays like Jerry Lee. Now I'm not sure if he called me a black guy to his friends or not. Yeah, but right. he explained it to me, right? <laughs> so he wanted to bring them. To see. You know, I was a novelty for him. So wow. I would call him every six weeks and say, "Hey, man, yeah, I call him on a Wednesday or Thursday." And say, hey man, I'm playing down at, at the Silver Dollar. Come He'd on call out. him, yeah. He come Friday and Saturday. He comes see plans, plans women wow. and plans men. You know, they come in street clothes, not you know, not you know, robes and hoods. Right. But they would <laughs> gather around near the uh, near the stage and watch me play. And then yeah, they get yeah. out on the dance floor and dance. Yeah. And then um, on the breaks, you know, I'd make my way over to his table, thank him for coming, say hello. Some of the clan were curious about me. You know, they wanted to meet me and talk to me, and so yeah. they hung there. But two of them. Every time I walk over towards the table, they'd get up and move to the other side of the room. Wow. So, so the uh -huh. implication That's was, good. you know, 
we don't want to touch you. We don't want to shake your hand. We don't want to talk to you. You know, we, we just want to look at you. Mm. Okay, fine. So move on. Like you're like some sort of Martian or something. It's bizarre. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, it's they, so they bizarre. Don't, they don't. They don't scrutinize oh, people it's... outside of their little bubble. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, yeah. anyway, he was uh, uh, he was the guy that gave me the information for the uh, for for the for the for the leader. Oh, um, he's the guy that. Okay. Yeah, and and that happened a couple years later. Yeah. Um, yeah. But by that time, he was out of the clan. Okay. Yeah, because and, there were there were a bunch of them. He, he was fearful. Yeah. He was fearful for my safety. Oh, so my was God. that was that the first guy that you kind of turned? Well, the, the first clan that I encountered, uh, I beat him up actually. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, that's a whole different story. Hey, listen, but, uh, I wouldn't want to mess with you, Daryl. Those hands, man. <laughs> Those hands move with grace, but I look at them, they're like mitts. We <laughs> had a bad day, that dude. <laughs> but, um, yeah, he, um, he, you know, I I left that band at the end of that year. Mm. And uh, so I lost track of my clan, you know, connections. Yeah. And then a few years later, it dawned on me, Daryl, you blew it. The answer to your question that has been plaguing you since the age of 10, it fell right into your lap. You didn't even realize it. Yeah. Who better to ask that question of yeah. than someone who would go so far as to join an organization that has over a hundred year history yeah. of practicing hating people who don't look like them or who don't believe as they believe. Yeah. Get back in contact with that Klansman. Wow. Get him you up with the leader. But not everybody would do that, Daryl. I mean, that, that that that's really remarkable to me that you would go that far to do that. I mean, it's it's you serve such a uh, you get what a service you did for for everyone. You know, I'm not talking African American. Everyone. I mean, to do that, that's such bravery. I mean, it just blows my mind well, that see, you, you know, would you do call, that. You call it bravery. I you do. Know, for, for me, do. for me, I would call it, it, it truly. I'm, I'm not I'm not exaggerating. or trying to be humble or whatever. For me, uh, it was more curiosity. Yeah, courage. I know you say that and, a lot. And but I'll tell you why though, because, you know, I, I'll say this, and maybe it'll make sense. Maybe it won't. Yeah. Um, because I've been exposed to yeah. so many different cultures as a kid, all mm. around the world, I just considered white supremacy just another culture. Yeah. You know, and I treat all cultures alike. Now, yeah. I will say this. Perhaps, maybe, if I never did all that traveling and I grew up here in my own country the whole time, maybe I wouldn't be doing this work today. Maybe I'd be trying yeah. to stay as far away from those people as I could. Yeah. You yeah. know, I, but I, I truly think it was my exposure to yeah, different too. kinds of people yeah. that enabled me to, 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 to not feel out of place. And to be curious that way. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I, I, you know, since we, I, 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 you know, look, your story and these stories are so amazing. I, I got well, you sent us some music and I I want to I want to play a little bit of something that so this so people can understand what this guy heard the way you're playing. You sent us four tracks. You said, you know, let us uh, uh, let's let's go. Let's go make which let's go. What was that? Uh, uh, leave me alone. How about the book? I want to play one of the tracks uh, that you sent me. Uh, Whatever you want. Uh, how about uh, is Leave Me Alone a good boogie woogie track, or how about uh, uh, um, Leave Me Alone is a is a good blues shuffle? Okay, or or, or let me uh, let me boogie with you, uh, boogie woogie. How about that one? You want to want to put put that guy on there? Either one. Try yeah, yeah. Here we go. Cool. 
That sax player's head was going to explode. That's uh, that's Ron Holloway. Damn. Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're playing. I mean, it sounds great, but um, yeah, man. So, so, so did you ever play with? Uh, you were friends with Jerry Lee Lewis. Yes. Yeah. Did you ever do any gigs with him? Did you ever? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I was on a lot of shows with him because you know I, I worked with Chuck Berry. Yeah. Sometimes it'd be a rock and roll uh, revival package. It'd be yeah. Chuck Berry, Jerry Lee, Little yeah. Richard, or Chubby Checker, you know, whoever. Yeah. Um, but uh, one time, uh, I've known Jerry Lee since I was a teenager. But wow. uh, one time uh, we were doing a gig and uh, Jerry Lee was there solo. And he doesn't like playing solo for audiences. He does it, you know, on his own by himself. Mm. But uh, he, he didn't have his band. And I, I was backing up uh, Sam Moore from Sam oh, and yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so I said, you know, I, I went over to Jerry's dressing room and he was all bent out of shape because he didn't have his band. And I said, well, Jerry, you know, do you want to use my band? He goes, could I? I said, sure. So so my band backed him up. Wow. Yeah. Man, your band must have been cooking because Jerry needs that. I had a buddy of mine uh, in Memphis that played drums with Jerry for a while. And he said, you had to be driving that shit. That's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> you had to be driving that shit. Yeah. I, 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 Freddie, I, I, I had a moment with, with Daryl. Uh, we did, uh, or my friend Tangray, uh, Hayward came up and sat oh, in. Oh, Tangray. Yeah, sure, we, sure. we did, we did further on up the road. 
Nice. And, 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 and I started playing it uh, like, like the last waltz kind of version, like a right. double shuffle. Right. And, 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 and Daryl looks at me and goes, give me get the three-legged dog thing. He goes, he does. I knew right away. He goes, kadunk, kadunk, kadunk. He gave me yeah, one look. Lame dog. Do that thing. Yeah. Kadunk, kadunk. Yeah, and it yeah. was like, oh my God, he's like the master, man. Nice. Doing that. Like, and, and, and my, one of the greatest moments of that night for me was when you do, he educates the audience on boogie woogie piano and sh the, the way you play. And you, it's, it's so entertaining. I mean, I wanted to almost get off my drums and move in front and watch you do it because it was <laughs> phenomenal. It was so, it was so much fun, man. It's, it's, it's a great, it's, it's so great, man. I mean, DJ Fontana's done that feel with Elvis as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah man, absolutely. Uh, I, I, I worked with uh, DJ Fontana and the Jordanaires a few times. Oh, man. Get, get out, really? Yeah. Wow. I uh, met him once. He was a sweetheart. Yeah. Sweetheart. yeah. I met him one time. He was very nice. Oh, uh, yeah, Scotty. Nice. Wow. I never, yeah. I, never, I never got to meet Scotty. I always liked Scotty. I never <laughs> got to meet him. But I played a few times with uh, James Burton, who was uh, oh, wow. later on. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the legends of, of, of rock and roll, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, mean, you know, Jerry Lee was you know, pretty much the last man standing. Yeah. You know, he just passed away yeah. a couple months yeah. ago. Uh, we, you know, yeah. all, of all the solo performers, like Chuck right, Berry, right. Elvis Presley, right. Buddy Holly, Jerry Lee. Little Richard. Little Richard, yeah. Richard Diddley, yeah. Domino, They're yeah. all gone now. Oh, Diddley. Yeah. yeah. You're, 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 yeah. Just uh, uh, Dwayne Eddy was around back then. Oh right, um, right. But I mean, he wasn't like a you know a a, a, a singing pioneer or whatever. Right. Uh, you know that was the one really nice thing about mm -hmm. hanging out with Linda Gale, mm -hmm. we doing those shows with Linda Gale because Linda Gale would tell us these stories about Jerry, and then, and and I'll tell you what I I was kind of blown away by Linda Gale because she'd be walking up with her purse, uh -huh. she'd sit behind the piano, moving kind of slow. And all of a sudden, her leg would go up on the piano, and she'd be playing. Yeah, yeah. I was like, "Whoa, man!" Like, you know, yeah. rock and roll. Let me, baby. let me tell you something. Amazing. As musicians, you know that, and for the audience who may not know, you know, we talk about Linda Gale and Jerry Lee. Linda yeah. Gale Lewis is Jerry Lee's sister. Yeah, and they have an identical way of playing the piano. They do. It must be in the in, in the water in Fairday, Louisiana. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, That's yeah, where yeah. They're from. Yeah. Because, right, uh, yeah. Jerry Lee's first cousin, uh, two first cousins, Mickey Gilly, Swagger. And, uh, Jimmy, Jimmy Lee Swagger. Yeah. They all play that similar boogie style of piano, right. man. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, wow. and the Gale is fantastic. But, you know, yeah, you know, you see people like that, even Pine Top Perkins or Johnny. Yeah, I met, uh, I met him once. When, you know, I wanted they, to tell you about meeting him. Lovely man. up to the piano real slow and you're yeah. like, oh, my God, what's going to happen here? Yeah, and boy, when they when they sit down, yeah, man, it's a whole different story. They're in another yeah, right. zone. Whoa, yeah, you know? like yeah, it's it's all of a sudden like they they're not, yeah, they it's they're in a different place. It blew me away about her. Uh, uh, I, I, I met Pine Top Perkins at South by Southwest about yeah, fifteen years ago. I met him. He, he was in this little, he, he, and it was weird. He was there doing something for South by Southwest, but he went to this little bar where he could play. He uh -huh. just wanted to go play his piano, you know, like. That's right. That's right. Exactly. Because, you know, listen, you don't stop playing music because you get old. You get old because you stop playing music. Yeah, yeah. I like that, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. True. I, I, I tell you. I, at the I, age of 97, still playing, man. I was man. a ball bear at Fine Top's funeral. Wow. 
Wow. Are, are you got any gigs coming up soon? Do you have any stuff coming up that you're playing? Yeah, on? I'm playing the uh, legendary Rhythm and Blues Cruise oh, uh, right on. In, in a couple of weeks. Uh, yeah. This one is going to the South Caribbean. Oh, sweet. How long are you on that? A couple of uh, weeks. Like, oh, one nice. Week. Well, that's a nice getaway for you, man. You're playing. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that sounds great, you know. I, I, when you mentioned there's a session, I, I well, I'll get a hold of you on on the on the back side here because I got something I'd love you to do. Okay. Uh, uh, that Kenny and I were involved with that uh, that Kenny mentioned. You know, you got to get Daryl up here to, to play on this thing. So we'll we'll, we'll figure it out. You know? All right. Because you're down in D.C., which is what is that about a four or five hour drive for you, something like that. You know. Where, where is it? We're in Philadelphia. Oh, Philadelphia's only about two and a half hours. Oh, right? okay. All right. right. Okay. Okay. We'll figure it out. But listen, man, I, I, it, the time went by so fast. You were uh, just a joy to listen to, man. It was unbelievable. And uh, and I hope maybe, uh, you know, some other time you come back and, and we'll see yeah. you again. But, man. Well, we'll, we, will, uh, we will call this part one and we'll definitely do part there two. There you go. Yeah, man. Well, well, well listen, man, thank, thank you so much, Daryl. Thank it you. Was, I really it was, appreciate it. Was, it was a real honor, real honor for all, for all of us, man. Great. Yeah. Thank you, man. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, man. Freddie, yeah. Kenny, thank you, bros. Thanks for joining me. It's always a guest. Oh. Pleasure. Uh, I, I really did get kicked out of Cub Scouts. They just kind of said, maybe you should try another group. Well, well when, you, when, you, when, you go, when you go off off the air, yeah. uh, I'll tell you why you got kicked out of Cub Scouts. Uh, <laughs> it was a good move. Okay, listen. Uh, everybody, listen, have a wonderful day. I want to thank our sponsors, the School of Rock on Mainline, and keep on coming back. We'll see you in a few weeks on In the Pocket. Thank you, guys. Have a great day. David Osik and his In the Pocket is sponsored by the School of Rock Mainline. I'd like to thank the School of Rock Mainline, located at 511 Old Lancaster Road in Berwyn. You can visit their website at schoolofrock.com. As for Dave Marsh or Rick Allison. (laughs) 